this is Nikki Payne with a bit of a cold, and you're listening to Yak Yak's Comedy Podcast. Now you can sample or track your favorite comics and see our upcoming events. It's all there at yuckyucks.com. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. What's going on, my little yucky maniacs? This is your host, Jake Hirsch. Thank you for listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. This is the right place for you. Trust me, we have the best interviews in the business. That's right, folks, the comedy business. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What a fantastic week. I have gotten my hands full. I'm telling you, it is a different level of busy right now. Uh, and, and this is the summer. And every apparently in the comedy business, summertime is slow, but uh, not for us, folks. We are rocking and rolling. Uh, we got some fantastic shows coming up uh, all across Canada. But, of course, uh, right here in Calgary, we're producing a couple right here at the Calgary Yucks, Yucks, uh, Yuck Yucks Club. Pardon uh, my inability to speak. Uh Please be patient. Uh, yes, we've got some great shows. Uh, excited to announce, uh, of course, uh, the Friday Late Show with uh, Tyler Middleton, host at uh, X929. Of course, uh, I talked about that on the last episode, and uh, we are producing another show there that's going to be coming up um, in October, and I'm going to be producing that show as well. I am excited about it. I know you guys will be too once I announce it. Now, uh, as I had mentioned, uh, it, it, it is, it is busy. It is super busy, but it's a good busy because I have been waiting and waiting around for something to sink my energy into. And it looks like the comedy business is where it's at. And I love people's energy in the summertime. Uh, I had the, uh, the great opportunity to visit with some, uh, with some good friends over the last couple of weeks. Of course, uh, Hunter Collins was in town, uh, last week. And, uh, and of course we got to, we got to hang out. I also got to, uh, hang out this week with an old friend, Lisa Baker, who was down, of course, uh, from, uh, I think she's in Edmonton or Devon or I don't know, something like that. Devon, I'm not sure the names of these towns in Alberta because I can never pronounce them properly. Uh, anyway, uh, she's north, uh, from what I uh, remember. Um, anyway, she was down playing the Yucks Club. And, of course, we had the very funny, very talented Dom Perret, uh, who was in town as well. And we have a great interview. This uh, We had a little bit of audio problems. Now, I'm not sure if anybody out there has uh, – I know, uh, Paul Can, you've got a Zoom. Um, but the Zoom that I've got, uh, I don't know <laughs> – <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite, who the hell could be texting me at a time like this? Um, anyway, um, yes, uh, I have the H4N Zoom recorder. Uh, and, and of course, you burn through a lot of batteries if you don't have the rechargeable ones. So I looked online to try to find this AC adapter that I can plug into the, to the uh, recorder. And uh, they're sold out at the, uh, at the local store here. And, of course, uh, the only way to get a hold of these things is if you order them online. So... I needed something right away, and I'm a very impatient person. So I went over down to the source, which is you know like the Radio Shack, and uh, found one of those uh, chargers that uh, this cord is starting to fry out. Anyway, I found one of those adapters that uh, you know that comes with like five of the of the different tips on the end of them. So it 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 you can you know it can be a big one or a small one. Uh, they give you the options. So I bought this thing, I plugged it in, and whammo blammo, the Zoom is dead, folks. Yay! Thank you. Thank you very much. 
yeah, I don't know what the hell happened. Not sure if I, uh, you know, maybe it was too much voltage for it. I'm not sure what the what, what the hell happened. It just got frozen. The logo popped up, and then it's just frozen uh, on the home screen, and it says version 1.72. I don't know what the hell's going on with it. I emailed Zoom. They're gracious enough to take it back and uh, and get it fixed for me. So, needless to say, this episode was recorded on my cell phone. With that being said, though, with that being said, that has happened before. If you guys remember, my interview with Ari Shafir uh, went. Uh, to shit because uh, for whatever uh, reason uh, the the phone did not record properly uh, we lost it or you know whatever the hell happened to it I'm not quite sure but it just didn't record so I was a little reluctant to use my phone but I thought I'm not going to get another opportunity to sit down with these two comedy greats and uh, be able to shoot the shit and so I just said screw it let's uh, let's do it with the cell phone quality's not that bad so. Yes, it's going to sound a little off. It's not uh, with the microphones and stuff, but it is uh, a decent recording, and you can hear everything that's being said. Um, Dom Perret. I really love this guy. This guy is just absolutely hilarious, uh, very talented, very gifted, and uh, very well-spoken, very articulate. And we had a great conversation around the comedy business about uh, some of the uh, – I don't know how you put it, maybe uh, the years of Yesterfar uh, and who was around in that time and, and who was running what. Um, yeah, it gets a little personal. We talk about some people, some names come up, but uh, overall, I don't think it's anything. You know, Dom just kind of reminds me of the type of guy that uh, would not have a problem saying something to your face uh, if he had an issue. So I I like that. I love that he speaks from the heart. Uh, he's very passionate about comedy, and I think that he's uh, he, he was uh, an absolute refreshing person to talk to in this comedy business. Um, not to say that everybody else isn't refreshing, okay? Not every time. <laughs> I'm not just giving, you know, Dom props here. I mean, I love that about comedy. I love that people uh, are not afraid to speak from the heart and and that it's something that they're very passionate about. You know, if, if you were to interview somebody else who might have a love for something uh, or, or a deep passion for it, it really shines through. You can tell when you interview athletes who cry, uh, I've I've interviewed uh, you know UFC fighters that are that are just so competitive that the passion that they have is is so deep and so real that uh, they get emotional about it. And Dom just kind of reminds me of that type of guy. Not the emotional part. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like he was tearing up or something like that. I just mean in the sense of that he is not afraid to say things about the industry that need to be said. And I think in in turn probably will ultimately benefit the industry for having heard it. Uh, a lot of people are afraid to take those risks and and say those things. And uh, I found Dom to uh, to just put it out there and tell it like it is. And you got to respect it. I love it. Uh, anyway, he is wrapping uh, his uh, West Coast tour. Be sure to check him out, Dom Pere, folks. Uh, in fact, I think he's uh, I think he's done uh, the West Coast tour. But anyway, we talk about dates. Check out um, uh, his social media. Uh, get a hold of him. He, he's a fantastic comedian. Lisa Baker, of course. I got to interview Lisa last year, and what an absolute, uh, just a great talent. We we sat down and we got to chat. We got to catch up for a bit, uh, which was always wonderful seeing Lisa. And she's always just at the forefront of not giving a shit about anybody else's opinion um, on social issues. And I love that. I love that about her as well, because uh, we have a great conversation in this podcast about feminism and maybe some of the angles that some people don't maybe always get a chance to 
uh, hear or look at or, uh, you know, different perspectives that I think Lisa brings to the table. And not only that, she's a tremendous, tremendous comedian. And, and I think I, well, I, I just love the fact that she's getting uh, a lot of follow right now. She's, she's, uh, she's getting up there, uh, and, and she's getting her, you know, her, her name known throughout the country. And I, I cannot wait to work with her. I think she's a, uh, just fantastic comedian. So stick around, listen to this interview. It is absolutely dynamite. We talk, uh, we laugh, we cry, uh, we share story. I'm joking. We have one hell of a conversation, and let's go listen to it right now with my guests, Don Perret and Lisa Baker. Number two on the podcast. Hey! All right. So, uh, you guys are in town, the Calgary Yucks. Let's talk a bit about before we get into uh, some of the in depth stuff here. How was the show last night? I heard it, I heard it was great. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, that one was fun. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah, they were uh, a very giving crowd, you know. How many times have you been out here, Dom? Uh, like my second time. Here. Second time? Yeah. I came here like four years ago, and then uh, I didn't come back uh, for a long while, and I just decided. It's time to do another tour. So I yeah. did BC and then I did this uh, as the back end. So I went and did BC first and did two, two months or so then. Right. And then I uh, then I came here and I, I could have gone on to that other one in Saskatchewan, but I just went, I want to go home at a certain yeah. point. So it'll be about two months and three weeks when it's all said and done. No so, shit. So I'm like, yeah, I want to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> I'm getting tired of this. So you're based out of where? Uh, Toronto. 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 Is that where, where you're from? No, no, I, like, I, I'm a military kid, so I bounced around a lot. Oh, um, sure. Ottawa's where I stayed the most ever. Right. But before that, I was, like, moving every two years, and then Ottawa's where I started comedy, and we moved over to uh, Toronto, because it's, like, you know, it's the center of the universe. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you do that, and now, uh, now I'm a touring comic, so it's, like, in all honesty, I live in Toronto, it's where I'm situated from, but it's not, it's not where I spend my time or or where I work nine times yeah, yeah. out of ten, and it's like you're just constantly touring. Like, so that's the thing about comedy in Toronto is there's not really money to be made in Toronto. It's right, all right. just down the outside of Toronto. Reminds me of like Los Angeles. Like yeah. everybody goes in just to like open mics everywhere, and then they want yeah. to go on tour. They just go across the rest of the country. What's the longest tour that you've ever been on? Me, Lisa. I haven't toured like that yet because yeah. I mean no. because I'm based out of Edmonton, so I don't have to. Right. There's enough to, for you to. Yeah, I don't have to do, be away from home more than like three, four days because I can. Uh, the furthest all I've driven is like 12, 13 hours to, you know, go to Manitoba or BC or whatever. Right. But it, you can you can do a, a little like even if you wanted to do like a weekend here and a weekend there, you can kind of swing it that you're back home. You know. Yeah. yeah. Depending on on what way you're doing it, but yeah, it's it's there's so much work out here. Yeah, yeah, enough for it. Yeah, yeah. How, how, does you, how do you find, like, that lends to the lifestyle of it? I mean, you said, like, it's a little bit tough to be away from home for, like, that long a period of time. I, like, for me, I couldn't imagine being fucking gone for two months. Like, I got dogs. I got, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. everything. It's just, like, putting That's, your life on hold. I've wanted to get a dog in the past. And, that like, honestly, I'd, I'd be an asshole to that dog because I'm gone way yeah. too often. And we've, like, me and my girlfriend have talked about it endlessly. Mm-hmm. But she also disappears because she's, like, filming TV. So oh, no shit. kind of have, like, this nomadic existence sometimes yeah um but i mean like i kind of 
I kind of booked this, like, for two reasons. Like, my girlfriend's best friend was getting married, and she, like, you know, had, like, a year notice on it. Right. So I was like, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll take, uh, you know, a, a bit of time six or eight months in advance and book a nice big tour, and we'll go to that wedding in the middle of it. And sure. the rest of it is just bounce around and do everything out here, because if you're going to come all the way out here, do the scene, right? Right, right. And then uh, I grew that tour on purpose, because I could have just gone in and out and done the clubs, that's it. Right. I grew it on purpose, because... Uh, uh, not to shit on the festival, but like just for laughs happens in Montreal at that right. time. And uh, in my experience, and I think it was less so this year, but in my experience, the Toronto scene gets really depressingly toxic uh, right. because it's just full of, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of bridesmaids never a bride complaining. Right. And, and I'm like, you know, why the fuck is so and so have it? And then you've got to have the same fucking conversation over and over again. <laughs> Like it's the same conversation. It's every honest to god. It's the same conversations. It's like uh, the, the it starts off all like by criticizing who's not funny. That'll be the first one, and right. then they'll break people down into are they alternative or not. And then they whimsically uh, trying to d- decipher what just for laughs wants, and then eventually it breaks down to commentary on uh, the fixation on multiculturalism within comedy and how people who are of race or, uh, or or maybe lesbian or gay or whatever have a better uh, odds uh, to get into a festival. And then if you're all of those things and you're for sure going to get in but you don't have to be funny and blah, 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 blah. And this conversation will go on for what? Like, it, it's ten minutes at a time for every single fucking mouth you talk to in comedy in Toronto. And it's... It, it's uh, it's soul-crushing. It's, yeah. it's, it's annoying. It, it, it's just... Uh, it's pointless. It's spinning right. your wheels, angry conversations. You know, I, I've heard I've heard complaints, and maybe you guys can help clear clear this up. But like that, even festivals like JFL and stuff like that, they've got favorites that they that they use, or the same people over. And I like I'm still fairly new to Canada in that sense. I don't have a good grasp on everybody that's been around forever. But uh, I kind of liken it to like uh, the Junos. Like for a while, there it was the same artist year after year. Yeah. They're the same people winning. Right? It's like bare naked ladies for ten years. Alanis Morissette, and you know what I mean. Is it is it like that? Is it is it that clicky at all? Or is that, it? I don't no? think it's that way because uh, I mean you have to take a look at what Just for Laughs is. It's a it's an international uh, level uh, festival. That I mean, here we call it Just for Laughs. In the states, they call it the Montreal Comedy Festival. Right. Uh, but they know about the Montreal Comedy Festival, and that's it's like a big game changer for a lot of U.S. acts and for Canadian acts. Sure. But they have a, a fairly consistent churn and that they have the homegrown that, that that the industry like I did it in two thousand ten. Right. And uh, and they it was their 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 mission statement was to get this homegrown thing uh, into a better position for uh, U.S. agents and bookers and stuff to see you for you to get exposure. And they, they went out of their way to get a lot of press, uh, and they really kept pushing it, and, and they kept trying to shove managers and shit into this room to see this. Right. And then five, well, six years now on, you, you see the benefits of that, that labor, because uh, they do get press. They often organize local press for you, like in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. Then they'll do stuff in Montreal. They'll do like radio news and stuff like that. But then it's transitioned to people doing, like, get opportunities and agents and bookers, because you'll see, like, DJ Demers, like, he uh, got on, um, was it uh, Conan, I think? Right. Uh, but Mark Little, similar, like, they, they, they've opened up doors for these people, uh, but this is a, a, a usually a one-shot competition. You don't ever really get back into homegrown again. Right. But it exposes you and brings you up. So I'm like, that's always churning. It's right. like, I think it's ten people, and it's like ten different people every fucking year. Right. And... 
you know, percentage-wise, if you wanted to be critical of them, you'd be like, uh, oh, they don't book enough Canadians. But it's, again, an international festival. So sure. they're bringing in people from Australia. They're bringing them in from the UK. They, it's intended to be this huge showcase multicultural yeah. uh, um, show. And then they have, you know, their French side of it and stuff like that. Like, this, it's... I, I don't I think sometimes there's people they definitely repeat but it's like it's people that you know because they're there there are Canadian celebrities and they're they're a bit of a draw they end up hosting the galas sure. and all that stuff but when you talk about bullshit nepotism and comedy you you have to look at like uh, the Canadian comedy awards is by far like and it doesn't even exist anymore it just became so goddamn disrespected but it was <laughs> it was so fucking obvious the nepotism on that level was like uh, they would have uh, you know like I remember this one year it was uh, best male comedian category. Right. And the best male comedian category that year was uh, Ron Jostle, who's just a fucking, like, sh- just strong powerhouse of a comic. Yeah. Uh, Pete Zedlacker, yeah. another, and a fucking, like, triple-A headliner, knocking shit out of the park. Dave Merhaj, at the time, he was, like, uh, not not just blowing up, but he'd had MTV. Like, he right. was, he was really, he was, like, on other, other shows. Like, he was really blowing up. Yeah. Um, and then they had... Uh, Oh, forgetting the last one. Well, anyway, whatever. They had Ron Sparks in there as the fifth one. Right. And and he was in there. Uh, and I'm trying to remember who else it was because there was another really great act in there. It was just like a solid powerhouse. But oh yeah, Mark Forward. That's what I was. Sorry, right. Mark Forward. And uh, then they had Ron Sparks, who was not doing stand up, but has been known for years to be very well aligned with the Canadian Comedy Awards for a time. I believe he was on the board, but really good friends of Tim Progosh, who's the guy who was running the Canadian Comedy Awards. And this motherfucker just kept appearing in the awards in categories that he either did not actually do anything or or, or he would just be parachuted in. Because right. the, you, you, there's this semblance of online voting and jury members and voting for people to... Because uh, I voted in the jury once. And, right. like, honest to God, like, he shouldn't have been there. Even his tape that he submitted was just uh, him doing Russell Peters material because of the irony of a white person not being able to do those jokes. That's what he submitted with. So not even his shit. And then he got in there, and everyone was like, look, if he wins this, it's fucking bullshit, because right. you're up against, like, some really strong acts sure. that are really well-known and have lived and died for this, mm-hmm. and he won. And we just sat there, and we watched it, and, like, I think Mark, Forward, Mark Forward tweeted out, because at that point, Ron had won pretty much every single category you could, and, he, and it's like, even the producer at the time, uh, Gary Rideout, the producer of the Canadian Comedy Awards, had Ron removed, I think, from three different categories... Because one, he like said he'd done like a one-man show kind of thing, and he went to the venue that it was claimed to be, and it was a fucking Chinese food restaurant. Like, <laughs> ended up. Are you serious? Yeah, this is no no bullshit. Like, wow. this is just like it was just obvious fucking nepotism. And then Mark Forward tweeted out that night and was like, oh, "I'm pretty sure I know who's going to win uh, best male improviser next year because he doesn't do improv. But this guy can just <laughs> throw it in." But it was like such a fucking. Um, Blatant nepotism. Right. That ultimately, that's why these awards fell apart. So they like stopped getting any support from anyone in the community because it was so fucking obvious. I got Picnic Face at the time. They were releasing a. The last time I went and saw the award, the awards, they were uh, releasing a movie called Roller Town. Right. Uh, and so it was Scott Vrooman and Evan Evan e. Rosen who were part of Picnic Face. They kept going up and accepting awards uh, in various categories for this movie. Right. Uh, and Scott kept saying openly every time he accepted an award, he'd be like, "Well, it's, I really do appreciate it. I thank you so much for this. Uh, the movie's not out. I'm not even done finished. It's not. It's not in the can yet. Uh, we're not even done editing. No I really way. do appreciate this. But I mean, 
yeah, it's not done, uh, and they'd be like, greatest greatest comedy feature, and it win. He's like, again, I uh, appreciate it, but I haven't even seen all the footage. Like, this, like oh, that's the level shit. of, you know, it was just like, pick me face, you're in, and it was just this, this fucking obvious mechanism to just wow. pat the same people on the back over and over and over again. Like, if you look at it, I think Ron Sparks, uh, for the like, years after that, I think like three, four years after that, he was always nominated for Best Male Stand-Up, but I think he won it. I think he won it twice in that period of time. And Kira, who works for Yachts, she used to uh, produce that uh, as well. Right. I remember bringing it up with her very bluntly, and just like it's so fucking goddamn obvious. And like she would defend the situation that they had, like the setup that they had. And then there just came a point where I, I think she even she just got tired of me fucking bringing it up. But right. like, <laughs> she, she she just kind of acquiesced, and like when she finally left the Canadian Comedy Awards, she's like, yeah, like there's probably something dirty going on in there. Wow. And then. Um, Pete, Peter Anthony one year, uh, he was a, a co-host of sorts for, like, they announced the nominations at Yucks there. Right. And he announced it with Kira, and and he he's looking at the paper, and he's announcing Best Male Stand-Ups, and he announces himself. <laughs> and he's like, oh, what a surprise. Blah, blah, blah. Now, Canadian Comedy Awards, they go on and find whatever, and he doesn't win it, but uh, I talked to him later about it, and he, I was like, just to be honest about it, Peter had taken a year off of stand-up. Right. And he wasn't doing anything in stand-up. And then he sort of showed up on these awards and suddenly he was nominated as Best Male Stand-Up. And I brought it up with him, like, how how full of shit was that? I'm like, like yeah. on a scale of 1 to 10, he's like, buddy, I sucked Pro Gosh's dick so hard to get that. Like, <laughs> and he just, he was honest about it. He was like, fuck, man, I just wanted the fucking credit. It might help me on the paperwork, get me back on the map as I'm coming back again. And he was just uh, refreshingly honest. But yeah. he was like, yeah, it's it's all this structure of voting and, and juries and all that shit was so goddamn obviously useless because you could vote for somebody they didn't like and they'll never put him in. Right. Uh, Trix, who just moved to Edmonton here, it was a well-known thing that he was voted up as like male stand-up, best right. male stand-up. And they just dropped him out of the category. And oh, he, he found that out later from like whispers and rumors and stuff. And I, But I believe it because if they didn't like you, if they weren't on your side... Didn't matter if you were the most popular comic and the one that had right. the most fanfare and acceptance and, and talent. It wouldn't matter. They would right. just shove you out there. And like, I, knew, I always knew there was a seedy underbelly to comedy. <laughs> well, and, that's, and that's, a, that's the way open mics are run, too. Yeah. You know? And some shows are run. Right. Um, they're run the same way. It's yeah. not always about who's the best or the funniest or who's going to, you know, give you the best show. Sometimes it's just about my buddies. Yeah, you know, is that is, is is that a is that a situation of that people get to a certain level and they control things and that's just what they probably, how that how that works? I think we're like honestly, I think the Canadian Comedy Awards was birthed by Progosh and a, a bunch of different people, uh, but it was primarily birthed for improv and sketch acknowledgement, and they right. kind of added in step stand up like a redheaded stepchild, and they kind of never really cared right. um, about if that was wildly off or not. You yeah, know, it didn't. Yeah. Didn't really matter to them, but yeah, it was, uh, I think Mike Wilmont was the one who told me this, he's like, it's a bunch of fucking hobbyists and people who couldn't make it anymore and gave up, mm-hmm. and they all put themselves in this sort of caretaker position of comedy, right. so they can still somehow feel relevant, right. but not one of them you will ever see at any shows at all, they don't have any real connection to wow. comedy anymore, they just sort of sit up here in a tower, and they would take this, this show is kind of like a con, because it would go to different cities, I think it was... We did it in London. I think they might have done it in Windsor once. They had it in Ottawa for maybe two years. Right. Then back in Toronto or maybe Toronto, Ottawa. But they would, you'd get funding from tourism uh, boards and all this stuff to sure. bring it in there. They'd make whatever cash they'd make. Uh, and then that was it. Like, it was really more of a, of a scam to get money. Like, wow. it, it kind of boiled down to, like, 
yeah, just getting government grants to, to give awards to people that honestly haven't done anything in a long time and they don't deserve it, you know? There's a lot of people, like, there's a lot of times where it was like, this person is, like, you know, the best, uh, like, like, newcomer or whatever the fuck, and you're like, you've been doing this for eight fucking years, newcomer? Like, like you're brand new? Well, fresh chicken yard, you know? But, yeah, I don't know, like, that one, that's another conversation you could have, like, I just, I've hit a point in my career where I'm like, this is like, Whatever I know where the bodies are buried. That's where they are, but also it's irrelevant. Like the, sure. those, those awards are dead. They're never coming back. It's, right. I think the last tweet he put out was like, uh, they, "They're up for licensing if you want. Someone can license the name from him uh, right. and redo the whole thing." But he he had to step down off the board because uh, I mean everyone called him on this shit. But like he he showed up at a comedy bar and like punched uh, yeah the, like punched Gary Rideout. No, he didn't punch him. His friend punched him. But he showed up there all pissed off because. They'd rented out a bar right. for the after party, and Comedy Bar just said, come on out, we're, we're doing a party for the after party, and they rented out uh, the pilot downtown, which is an indication of how, how much of a relic uh, these people are, right. because the pilot is where they used to do open mics from, like in the 80s, so they were like, we'll rent out the pilot for that night, uh, but no one goes there for comedy anymore, wow. it's too swanky, it's, yeah. not, it's not equidistant to where everyone's come from, really. Sure. And it's irrelevant now to the whole class of comedy. So everyone went to Comedy Bar, and then they showed up there because they were pissed because they didn't get enough booze bought. They didn't have enough because you have to pay to be at this after party. Oh, shit. They didn't have enough money come through. So then suddenly, like it's like any other bar deal. I'm like, you you either hit a certain amount of people in there paying a certain amount of money and drinking a certain amount of booze, or you owe them some money. So yeah. this guy yeah. basically lost money on the after party, and he was furious at Gary. And I'm like, yeah, but. No one, no one, no one's like supporting you. We right. don't like you. We, you don't support us. We don't support you. Like whatever happened to these guys? Like whatever happened to the people that got all this going? Like the, they just the, stopped. Like last year was the last year they did it, and that's like just tweeted out like it, it, the license. name's up for licensing, and people are like just making jokes like what the fuck does that even mean? Or, <laughs> you know, uh, who are you gonna hit next year? All that shit. <laughs> So let's jump back a bit, Dom. Like, when did you start in comedy? Like, when did all this start to happen for you, and, and how did you get into it? I uh, I started because uh, my buddy, like, I just like stand up a lot, right? And my buddy, uh, he decided he was going to try it, and so he invited me out as the only guy invited out to, to watch him on an amateur night. And I just remember like watching him being like, "Please don't bomb! Please don't bomb!" You know? right. And then he bombed horribly, and he went like twice, like the limit of his time, and just like you know that tunnel vision. He got yelled at by the club manager and banned for six months. And, Holy fuck. And I just remember watching this happen in front of me, and I was like, I think I can do better. Yeah. <laughs> so I did. I just, I, I, I asked, uh, you know, how to book, and you'd have to call in and leave a voicemail, I think is what it was at the time, and you'd call back and you'd hear your name on the list if you were in there. So, you know, I did that. I eventually got on, shit myself before I fucking, uh, like, I had to write a set, and then, like, you know, I had like a month to write a set and then it was the last fucking hour and I'm like oh, I'm just trying to fucking get everything <laughs> together and I went on and uh, I I killed and I say that knowing what killing feels like sure. and that was like, probably the first time I killed it was the first time I was on stage and then I went back the next month and I fucking bombed but I did the same jokes and right. that's when I got hooked I was like what's the difference I didn't understand how old were you at this time? I don't know I like how old was I you're saying? yeah I, I was I think I started around it's been hard for me to nail down when I started, but I think I was probably 25 to 26, somewhere in that area. What were you doing at that time to like, keep the bills going and all that stuff? I had like a day job. Did you? Yeah, I had to, uh, I think I was working, when I started I was working in a call center, 
and then I ended up getting a sales job, but it was, like, around that transitionary period between whatever the fuck, but, yeah, like, I don't know, I think I've probably, it's hard for me to estimate, but I think I've been doing this about 12 years, right? maybe 13, but I'd say the first three or four were just sort of, like, it was Ottawa, so you only got on stage once a month, because they only had the, the Yucks Ottawa Amateur Night Wednesdays, and in average, you could get on stage ten times a year. They had right. no open mics. They didn't have absolute comedy. They didn't have any other shows. Right. Uh, so for me, it was like such a start and stop process of I'd go and do that. I'd do two months, and then I wouldn't get on the next time because Christmas or something's coming around, and they don't have the same amount. And, right. You know, you I'd go on a business trip, and I'd miss that chance. So it'd be like start, stop, start, stop. So I'm like, yeah. There's like dudes who are like they noted the date where they started and all that stuff. I'm right. Like, Man, I have no fucking clue. Do you remember all. who was on the scene with you back then? Do you remember coming up with people that you were like, oh, Yeah, shit. when I got there, like, the first comic to really, like, kind of embrace everyone and sort of be, like, a greeter to everyone was Ben Miner, who's, like, now Sirius XM, right. you know, and he's producer there. He's still a comic, obviously, but uh, he was, like, he'd been in it longer than me, and I think he, I think he just had a 15-year anniversary in comedy, so right. I, and he was, so I'd probably be 12 now yeah. if I can measure it up again because he was there way before I was by a few years and then it was like comics that don't exist anymore right. uh, Steve Patterson like or Steve Dillon as yeah. he goes by in Yucks he was there and he'd been doing it for a little while but there were other guys like Rick Subricki York Sakura, Charlie A.U. Don 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 yeah wow. he's in that fading off yeah. yeah but there was all like there's the old standards there like Wafik Nasrella and Don Kelly Jason Lawrence who eventually then opened up Absolute Comedy um, Rick Curry like there's there's a lot of old school like Ottawa guys that are just like uh, they're part of the infrastructure like they're, they're, they're like defining what that community is because right. they're, they're like probably they're probably like a Howie Miller or a Andrew Gross or mm-hmm. Daryl Mack right here who's like just known within the, the farther reaches of that community right they're like you know sort of supportive and they're just like you know exactly who they are like if yeah. you're in comedy for more than a year you know exactly who these guys are yeah but yeah that was a, it, was, it was a good scene when I was there it grew uh, fairly quickly as time went on. Like in the next few years, it grew up, but it was like uh, it was small enough to learn, and then it got big enough to fail. Right. And then I had to get out because it was just doing that big fish, small pond thing. Right. Right. So I jumped to Toronto. It's always fascinating me a bit, though, uh, as far as that there's pockets of. It seems like there's little hot pockets of comedy throughout the country when mm-hmm. there's different areas that progress a little bit faster than others, or maybe present some good opportunities. Uh, and this question goes for both of you, but what made you determine that Toronto was the best place? I mean, I, I get that there's a lot of opportunity there, uh, but I heard that there's the same type of opportunities, maybe not as much, but like Vancouver being a different scene. Uh, and I know, yeah. Lisa, you made your home out, out west here as opposed to going to Toronto, which was closer technically to you yeah. over there. But I mean, what what's the deciding factor? Is it opportunity? Is it being around other people that make you better? Is it what? I, what is uh, it? I, I mean, I could get a job there. I'd been there before. I had a read of the land there. Um, wasn't too far from home and my parents. Right. And it was uh, the defined comedy mecca of Canada. Right. And then on the other side, yeah, I wanted, uh, I wanted to be competing against comics that were genuinely better than me, and I'd have to become a better comic to, to actually keep up. You know? Right. And Toronto can be a pretty cold stand-up scene when you get there. There's a lot of comics, so everyone thinks they're special. Sure. You know, everyone who comes from another community is like the hot shit from wherever community. Right. 
And, uh, yeah, but you, it's cold in the sense that you have to fight for your stage time in the beginning. You have to prove yourself multiple times to get on. It can kind of burn you out a little bit, but that's the challenge I really wanted to go after. Right. You know? And then, uh, you know, I've seen that city, honestly, I've seen that city eat up comics. Well, they come there and they uh, kind of hit the mics a lot in the beginning, and then they just fade and fade and fade. And then you might hear that, like, there's these people who like live in Toronto but come here and do like road work and like right. tour around here. But in Toronto, you barely see them or hear of them ever. Really? So they just keep coming back here, and there's there's a lot of that. There's like good friends of mine who've moved up from Ottawa, and they've spent a year or two in Toronto. Right. Uh, and they just they just fade off. They just stop doing stand up, and they. They'll do shows, but it's all in Ottawa, and then they right. eventually just go back to Ottawa. Right. It's like, right. if you really want to get better and good, you have to fight for it in Toronto, and you yeah. have to really push. But like, it'll. I think that's like, it's a bit of a gatekeeper to the next level there because it, Toronto doesn't give a fuck. Like, yeah. That that city is a lot more. They qualify people so goddamn fucking fast, and right. they just don't. They don't care. There's. I think it's changing now, but they don't care to support just because you have to support. You yeah. Know? Right. But there is there's communities now that are like default support kind mm-hmm. of things, but the shows aren't always that good. Interesting. <laughs> what about you? For me, it was just practical because it had nothing to do with comedy. It was me leaving um, Newfoundland because I couldn't I couldn't survive there as a single parent. I just I just ended a, a long relationship. Couldn't survive there as a single parent, so I was like, well. My brother lived in Alberta. He'd been living here for years, so he was like, "Well, come out with us," and that's what and that's what I did. Comedy was was secondary to that. I had no idea. I had no clue about the scene out here. None. I had I had no idea. Uh, I assumed there'd be more work. Uh, I didn't understand road like how much road work. I just looked at the clubs. Right. And then when I got here, I didn't do stand up for a long time. I, like regularly, I was I kind of dabbled. Couldn't do a lot of stand-up in Newfoundland because you were limited. Uh, same thing, not, not no open mics, you sure. know, like one, two open mics. And then the, the yucks. And then, uh, so for years, I did same thing as Dom. I, I did pro shows and stuff for four years. I just played with my dick. After that, I fucking, I was signed. And then I, but I do like one show, maybe one weekend, maybe a month at Yucks as an opener, like a host or a middle. And then I moved out here. And I, I was so busy working in you know, trying to just pay rent mm-hmm. that I couldn't do as much stand-up. And then when I got laid off of North, I started doing more stand-up. And that's when I really understood what kind of a market we have in Alberta. Right. And and that's the thing, too. Like, when you look at where you want to live, like, in hindsight, it was a good decision because depending on what you want on a comedy, right. that, deci- that, that will decide where you want to be. Yeah. So if you want to make money, you move to Alberta. Right. Because... We have so much work out here, right? So if that's your thing, you'll get the stage time and you can get good and everything too. But you won't you won't get it's harder to get like maybe those like the commercials that you guys can get out there, you know, yeah. and uh, different shows and right. um, and and even festivals at times, right? So that might be a little bit harder for us. But again, it go you know it's well, what are your priorities, right? right? And for me right now, my priority is making money, right? And and building a brand, right? And you know, and it's and that's not to say that. Like I've worked with comics uh, that have been in Toronto, that live in Toronto, and so I have. I've still managed to network. I've still managed to do all those things, so that when I go to Toronto next time, uh, or when I go to Toronto to do stand up, um, I know that I have people that will, you know, say, "Hey, no, book her. She, you know, she can do the show." Sure. Uh, no, it's fine. You can book her. So I, I'll get the stage time and I'll get the shows. I won't have to kind of fight my way in the way 
yeah. you know a lot of people do, which mm -hmm. is which is nice. Yeah. And I so I kind of I kind of snuck in the back door then, right? Right. right. Um, which is and it's fine. It's fine for to do it that way, you know. But it, for me, it was just about what was practical in the moment. Yeah. Um, as opposed, to comedy was. Well, it, it was always like, well, this would be the best decision to make right now in my life, right. and then oh, and it'll probably be good for comedy. I had no idea how good it would be for comedy. Yeah. Like I never in my wildest dreams did I think that I could be, you know, touring around Western Canada and, and making money, and you know, it's it's incredible. That's that's yeah, that's great. That's a dynamite. But it's good validation too because you're on in Newfoundland, on Island Dom, and you've read all this material. And you don't realize you're doing all this local stuff until you leave, right. and your your jokes don't translate anymore and you have yeah. to kind of tweak them. I was going to ask that, yeah, yeah, because I mean, do you find that your comedy resonates Western Canada just as much as it does in Toronto? Yeah, well, I've, I've known, I, I, think, I think I've been doing comedy long enough and I've suffered the learning consequences of having too much local stuff or right. local reference stuff uh, to, you know, get dead silence or bomb on material that doesn't translate, so mm -hmm. I, I also tour around the States a lot, so you kind of just... You don't have to abandon things, but right. you have to be a little bit more mindful about how you write things. Right. Uh, to be a little bit more clear and translatable. It's, it's, it's still English, but yeah. yeah, you know. But don't uh, like. There's a lot of like comics I saw when I was in Ottawa. You could always just sit in the back and watch a pro show. Mm -hmm. So I could just sit there and watch them, and I'd see the the, the new like. Uh, the new uh, hot things, if you will, from Toronto coming through, like this is the new guy and he's in right. the middle or this is a really good headliner and he just became a headliner. And uh, I, I would see it, I learned this lesson uh, early on by watching them uh, bring up the TTC right. and try to tell a subway joke in a right. bus city, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, and like just make references to things that were very specific to Toronto yeah. right. and no one, no one would go on board with it and you could see that. Like they're, they're going through the process that I eventually went through too, which is like making local references and right. having the audience go, "What the fuck is that? Like, what are you talking about?" No one gets it. But yeah. You know. What's your experience been like down in the states? Uh, good, great. I've, I, I uh, honest to God, stand up's cool there. It's cool. People, right. people like stand up. There. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's like it feels it's like down in the states, like it's a fuck, it's a night out, man. Like people love. The presentation, the production of shows down there, and yeah. they love they love comedy. Like they, it seems like they really enjoy comedy. I think I think it's just like comedy comes and goes in waves, and mm -hmm. I think like there, uh, there's always been people being like, oh, it's coming back, or it's going to be like the '80s again. And I don't know if it'll ever hit that high water mark again, but it's right. growing there. Right, it's growing. But then the, there'll still be people who argue it's not because there's still things that like they'll be like, well, these three clubs just shut down, but I'll be like, be mindful. There's 50 of them in this this right. state. Like, right. yeah. The like, economy too. They say there's a direct, like they say there's a direct correlation between when the economy goes in the shitter, comedy yeah. takes off, and it's right. because people. Well, a it's a cheap night out. Sure. It's cheaper than going to a movie, yeah. right? If you're any, especially if you don't drink or anything like that, you just go get a little meal, whatever, right? Yeah. And then uh, a lot of the clubs offer they they have com like com tickets, mm -hmm. so people will go on and try to win the the tickets and stuff even, right? right? So yeah. people do you know just to go to go see it, but. I think the thing is, too, the biggest thing is that people just want to fucking laugh and forget for a little while. Yeah. You know, you're talking to people that are struggling to pay their mortgages and, right. and keep their vehicles and yeah. feed their kids. And then, you know, they're like, this is fucking shit. And then they're like, you know what, we're taking 50 bucks tonight. We're going out. We're going to go see uh, this comedy show. I don't care. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not far from home. You know, it's... And, and so I think people just, they just want to laugh. They just want to forget 
their life for a minute. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest compliments I've gotten when I promote a show. Like, I, you know, and you can probably attest to this, the amount of, obviously, the economy's hit in Alberta, mm-hmm. the way that the layoffs have happened and stuff like that, but I would get people after the show come up to me and say, like, I haven't worked in three months, but this is, yeah. I needed to fucking not laugh tonight. Like, I needed something to take my mind off of just this shit. Yeah. You know, and if you present a good product for a cheap price, I mean, people are going to come. You know? Yeah, for sure. And it's live entertainment. You never know what's going to happen. Exactly. Right? It's so much better than anything that you can watch that's scripted or on TV, really, if that's what you're into, you know? Yeah. yeah. For entertainment value, you're not going to get any, any more bang for your buck, for sure. But And it, and it's nice, too, because that's my favorite compliment, too, is when people come up after a show and say, you know, yeah, but you have a wonderful gift. Like, you... you you, just, you make people laugh. You bring joy. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm saving the day, the world one dick joke at a time. But it's like, <laughs> but realistically, it, it is a, a cool feeling to know when someone comes up and they, they're telling you they're going through our time. And, you yeah. know, yeah. you just made them feel real real good that night, you know, just for that little bit. Absolutely. And it's, and I wanted, I wanted to kind of segue into this. And, and being that I've got two veteran comedians, like, you know, I, obviously I work in a market here where you kind of keep your finger on the local talent and the mm-hmm. pulse of what's going on and stuff like that. Um, from a veteran perspective, though, there's a lot of young comedians that are coming up that don't know how to manage careers as far as, you know, do I promote every night? Do I, you know, because obviously like, there's a lot of, you know, comedians that I've, I'm He's friends with and stuff. Don't even start us. Don't even start us. You don't want to put on this rabbit hole. Oh, because I think it's important <laughs> for people to hear it, too, though, because there is a lot of people that... Uh, Don made this reference earlier about, you know what, you are your own brand. You are your own company. Yeah, you're right? your own business. Yeah. And like, honestly, I, I could be criticized for how I run mine because I don't, I'm going to have one soon, but I don't have a website and I really haven't had one for five years. It's never been a priority to me. Yes. And, uh, and whatever, like, you know, that's up to me to do that. So I could criticize myself in the construct of business, but I mean, I am a business. I do book myself. Uh, like in the States, I'll be pretty much pushing myself, uh, you know, uh, getting into various companies and stuff like that. I am a business with respect to Yucks and that I'm a contractor for them, but I, sure. I still, you know, I have, to, I have to create my own product and selling my jokes. You know? Right. And I, I don't know, I don't know, like, I think I'm sometimes outclassed by younger comics because they're so much more aware of the subtlety and, and flexibility and application of things like social media and I'm not just talking like you know, Twitter or whatever. They're they're actually able to build up a hashtag and make it about whatever the fuck they're talking about. Or sure. They're jumping off to Snapchats and Vines, and they're they're doing these things uh, and getting a following in just social media. And there's a way that I've never appreciated that you would get a following YouTube channels and shit like right. that. I'm like, right. I, I for me, I'm more traditional. I'm like, here's a tape of me doing stand up. Yeah. But these people have like a YouTube channel where they're talking to their you know, their laptop, basically, right. and they'll have, like, a thousand fucking viewers. Which is great, but a lot of them have, they're not fucking funny, and they, so they build oh, this, no. they build this huge brand, and you're sitting there going, how there's, the fuck is this guy getting paid? Well, there's no, like, there's no substance there. There's, yeah, like, yeah. Bo, Bo Burnham, for example, and I don't know how you feel about Bo Burnham, but I fucking hate Bo Burnham. Mm-hmm. I feel like he needs to stick to vines. Like, that's his shit, and it's like right. he took a whole vine thing, and he put it together, and he made a special. Right. And I've, I've taken so much shit for this, mm-hmm. because I don't like him. All right. And but I tell people I go, but really, there's not a lot of real comedy in there. Like, and if you pull it out, like I'm like, where's his joke? Like, where's the, you know? So I guess if you want to sell him to me as someone to watch who's entertaining, just be like, this guy's funny. He does like a one man show. Right. Great. Don't fucking call him a stand up comic. And I had a dude today, fucking 
post a screenshot of the definition of the word comedian because I said that Bo Burnham wasn't a comedian. Right. So he gave me the definition of what a fucking comedian was, this kid. <laughs> Who's not a comedian. Right, right. Right? And I was like, if I was near you, I would make you suck so it's, it's, like, it's always a great sign that you're winning the argument when somebody has to default to Webster's Dictionary. Right? <laughs> but it, but, but, that, but, my, and, but just to speak to what Don was talking about here, it, yeah. you know, it's, you, you, it's great if somebody is... Um, does have the talent and does kind of you know you're like like Colin Holland Newfoundland is big on all of that right mm-hmm. like these viral videos sure. hashtags and shit and Colin really knows how to work and, and part of it too is that he's a real estate agent so he knows business and he kind of knows how to how to work it all and he's really really good in, in that he'll sit with you and he'll explain it to you right. and even things he does on the show which I've started doing he told me you know you need to do this when you host is at the end saying mm-hmm. all of these comics are on Twitter Instagram Facebook follow them you know like them you share right. this right. And, it, and it's true but I, when you get someone like Colin, who's who's a genuinely, a genuinely a, a professional uh, comic, uh, a good comic, um, very dedicated to the business and and uh, comedy and and his brand, he's building a brand, you sure, which is great. But you get for every one of Colin, there's a hundred little fucking guys who've right. done six shows and they've already created a signature for themselves, like right. literally yeah. signing their posts with some kind of a like catchphrase. Sure. And hashtagging it, and you're like, well, you are uh, still wet behind the ears and shit yellow. Uh, <laughs> they give themselves, this is my, my big pet peeve, is when they give themselves a nickname. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, Darkest Minding Comedy, or whatever the fuck. <laughs> right? It's like, like they're going name. up, and you're like, you guys ever whack off so much that you run out of cum? You're like, whoa, this is so dark. You're challenging me. Whoa, my morality is being questioned. <laughs> He's fucking awesome. Yeah, and, and it's true. But does that, does that make you want to embrace more social media and jump on board? Or does I kind of do feel and I like this is cheap in the fucking heart of it. it? What bugs me about it is the fact, like, because people go, well, why do you care, Lisa? It's, not, it's no effect on your career. And it's like, listen, because you, you don't know the business end of the business then. Right. If right. you're going to say this has no effect on my career. Right. Because when that little piece of shit books a gig somewhere in a room that's never booked comedy before. Right. Right. So they go, we're going to book this guy. And he's like, yeah, I can do 45 minutes, no fucking sweat. Dude might have 20. Right. And it's like Darren Frost says, you might be able to talk for 45 minutes. It doesn't mean you should talk, talk for 45 40. minutes. Yeah, absolutely. So this kid will go in and burn this room. And then the booker goes, we're not going to do that ever again. again. Yeah. So now he just took money away from us. He just took food out of my fucking kid's mouth right. from a room that would have been established. We could have all had a shot at it. Right. So to say that it doesn't affect us, it just shows that you don't even know the end of the business then right. if you're going to say yeah. it doesn't affect us and it's Except, everywhere it just uh, makes us work harder which is good yes but at the same time we should all be kind of focused on the same goal there's sure. a there's a because we were talking earlier about like merch and promo and all that stuff yeah. but like okay like there's i can't remember who said it but it, it was recently it popped up in just like a feed of comic commentary but mm-hmm. it was show me a comedian that's good at promotion and marketing and i'll show you a comedian that's not funny yeah because right. that right. is a very odd little conundrum is that the people who are able to promote themselves the most and get the biggest following oftentimes are, are not as particularly great as an act. They, sure. they don't tend to have the ability to deliver on the promise, right? Right, right? And sometimes I look at it like it's like taking out a billboard ad all across this city and just pumping, pumping like we're selling out the local theater. It's gonna be me, 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 me. And it's like fucking so much fucking promotion and right. your face is fucking everywhere and then people show up and they pay the money and they sit down and you have nothing. Right, and that that really does. 
it makes everyone kind of pull back from comedy and the sense of stand-up because they're like, oh, fuck. We, Remember that we time? We 50 bucks and we, yeah. I got nothing. Like, right. what the right. fuck was that? Well, like, yeah. like, like, Nicole Arbor is like that. She, you know, she's got this whole thing going. She's fucking horrible. Right. She's, she's just a terrible, terrible comic. She's the prettiest, and, the prettiest, uh, uh, hottest example of human garbage. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sure. And when well, I watch her, Nicole Arbor, when she watch, you watch her stand-up from the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, I think it was. And she, she's got... Uh, Carolyn Ray introduces her oh. as the, the sexiest female comedian. And she comes out and she looks like Barbie just walked out of the box. Right, right. And I'm not, like, even, like, she's not even wa- able to walk in her shoes properly. Does she do these viral videos? Yeah, yeah, that comes. Okay, that so anyway, right. she's standing there. I'm sorry, but thou, I'll fucking call him like I see him. You know me. Absolutely. So she's standing there and she's doing these jokes. And I'm waiting for the point at which she's going to draw attention to the way she's dressed. Right. And I'm not saying women can't dress like this and do stand-up sure. before all these feminists fucking heads explode. It's right. not what I'm saying. Right. What I'm saying is, it was so garish and it pulled the attention away from yeah. her mouth. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So you yeah. were too busy focused on all that was going on in this train wreck of an outfit. Yeah. And, you know, it's almost like if I walked out on stage um, with a patch on my fucking eye. Right. But I talk about everything about, about the patch. The thing about her, though, is like, this is what this is what's really bothersome about it is that she knows what she's doing to get the views, right? Because she is that same viral person on the YouTube shit, right? Yeah. She goes on and she says like wildly, bluntly offensive crap, sure. so people will look at it and get offended at it. Uh, but she gets she's monetized her channel, so she's right. making decent cash. Yeah. Every time someone's like, "Look at this dumb bitch," she's like, "Yeah, please look." Yeah. Exactly. Cut that shit. Exactly. Yeah. We need all that money. But she also, she did the thing where she got a following, like a huge following, right. and Winnipeg booked her largely based on the concept of a big following, sure. right? You're like, you gotta have something together. Right. And then the product she brought was shit, and her ego is unchecked in a way that's oh, just so yeah. unrealistic, because yeah, she did get introduced as, she initially got introduced as, uh, Caroline Ray went, give it up for Canada's uh, sexiest comedian. And right. she made and Caroline she, Ray say that. No, no, no. What she did is she stayed backstage and would not come out. She's like, no, it's world's sexiest comedian. No not shit. Not Canada's. World's really? sexiest comedian. Yeah. So Caroline Ray then had to reintroduce her. This is a taping. This is a live, wow. like, this costs Holy money and shit. time. They had to reintroduce her for her to come out. Wow, like, that is insane. So I stand on my cunt assertion. Like, there's no... Because, <laughs> re- you know, yeah. And, and they did, uh, back in the day, they used to have a podcast. They, they, they interviewed, uh, at the time, it was Al Ray, I think, uh, and obviously transitioned to Lara, but yeah. in that podcast, Al openly uh, acknowledged that he regretted booking her. Right. Uh, and then when that viral video shit happened about all these, like, uh, calling fat people fat, basically, right. Right. Uh, Dean Jenkinson put out that they regretted as a festival that they'd ever booked her and to please... Uh, to please not contact them for con- for for quotes or, or comment on what her videos were because they, they were actually apparently having Disney press said. reaching out and being like, yeah. we're just going to make this a blanket statement. We regret working with her. It was a very big Yeah, we're distancing dis- 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 yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the thing. And that's the other side of it. So if you want to do, like, people can argue and say, um, you know, it kind of speaks to the thing I tell younger comics about, be nice, be nice, be nice. Right. You know, and people go, you don't have to be nice, you have to be funny. And I'm like, I disagree. Right. Because nobody wants to fucking work with you if you're not nice. Exactly. How are this week? Uh, Dom's fucking phenomenal, by the way. Right. I mean, behind his back, I'll call him everything. But, <laughs> like, but he, no, he's a, he you're honestly... very loud. I heard it all. <laughs> he's, he's so great, though. He is. He's been yeah. so, so great this week, and I had so, so much fun. And that's the thing, like, how shitty would this have been had we you're not... stuck with yeah, somebody. Yeah, had, had one, of, one or the other been, a, been an ass, right? Yeah. 
So, but it, it wasn't. It was a great weekend. Didn't mind hanging out with each other. It was good. And, you know, I tell comics that because you won't get work. And then you look at stuff that she's posting and people can say, well, you know, she's doing something right. She's got all the numbers. And it's like, yeah, okay, you know what? That's following. Right. And she's got that following. But that following, I've read the comments on her videos. Those people are people I would never, ever want to spend any time with. Right. Those right. are people I would never want to be around. Yeah. Those people are fucking garbage. Yeah. So she's feeding garbage to garbage people that are eating it up. And Very similar to like Donald Trump type of a Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Where and it's he like just you, says these you things. Want that. Yeah, because yeah. like you said, I mean, she knows what the fuck she's doing. Yeah. And I think Donald Trump is a very, you know, weird analogy. But I mean, the way I look at it, because I'm heavily involved in politics, is that he knows what he's doing to get his his... You know, he'll say something completely crazy just yeah. to stay in that news cycle for that week. Yeah. And every week he says something borderline fucking nuts for them to talk yeah. about. So yeah. it, it works. Every you fucking, know, it every, does work. Some days I'd like to get up and just Google the word Trump to see the news title. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's all just like, you know, like every day it's, it's a new ridiculous. fucking thing. It's a new thing. Yeah. And you don't know if it's satire anymore. And what, exactly. what, what's, what, I, what I've, my point of it all is, though, is like for me, I could probably do the same thing as Nicole Arbor mm -hmm. with my new Fiat accent. Sure. And get out there and just put out things that are are, are jarring and offensive, right. and and just trying to you know rile everybody up. Right. And I can do that, and I can gain probably the same kind of following sure. that she has. I don't want to be known as that person. Right. Yeah. I would rather take the long way around and come out the other side and be hated because I'm just successful mm -hmm. than hate it for how I became successful. Right. Right. Because at the end of the day, you we can still reach that if we work hard enough. Sure. You know, maybe not that level, whatever, but you can try. Right. Yeah. But I can fucking close my eyes and sleep at night. I'm not sure. a fucking dick. Every That's comic right. in the country doesn't hate me. The right. thing about right. it, though, I mean, to go back to the original sort of question about, like, the newer guys and how they handle marketing and promotion and all that stuff, like these brand new budding comics, you know? Right. The thing is, I don't think that a lot of them appreciate... Like, they just haven't been alive as long as some of us, and right. I don't want to act like some kind of ageist, but you, 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 at around 30, you start to feel your body getting older, and then around, when you're starting to hit around 40, it's like every mistake you've ever made to your body now catches up with you, right. and, and gravity becomes a problem, and sure. your, your fucking neck gets thrown out because you slept weird on the couch. Right. right. This shit adds up as time goes on, but right. when you're young, you really don't see any end to it. You don't see any uh, time to invest. Uh, like, cause to me, it was like, I only have so much time in the day to invest in certain things. This is, this is all I have. For them, it's just like, I can stay up two days, I don't even have to fucking sleep, let's party, woo, exactly. woo. Yeah. you know? <laughs> they, don't, they don't see the repercussions of the actions right. yet. Right. I think when they get older, that's the point, like, what about these young guys? I'm like, yeah, when they get a bit older, they're going to be sitting here doing a podcast being like, yeah, man, I kind of fucked up on that, like, da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> right. Because when you bring up, uh, I tell comics, be nice, and I'm like, I fucked up, I was not nice. Right. I was hard to get along with in many moments. Sure. And I had to let go and basically, like, get my own head checked and, like, fucking take care of myself. Right. Uh, so I wouldn't be that guy anymore. But, sure. you know, it's like shitting in the pool. Like, it, yeah. it kind of follows you around for a while. Right. And now I'm like... I don't, I don't get riled up about comedy anymore. I don't get all, like, pissy. Like, I literally only hate one comic. Uh, but before, it's like, sometimes it was like, somehow every comedian around you was direct competition to your fucking dream. Yeah. Right. And now I'm like, we just get there on our own goddamn time. Yeah. And, like, whatever trick you have to get there, go ahead and fucking use it. Sometimes it's interesting to watch people pull shit off uh, just to get promotion. And sometimes yeah. it's garish and disgusting. And other times you're like, oh, that's pretty clever. I shouldn't have thought. I should have thought myself. You know, oh, it's so fascinating that you bring up that point because there is, I've noticed that a lot in the comedy business, and I'm sure it's like that in any business. But that there's some weird intrinsic feeling that 
if your success is somehow taking away something from me or some opportunity that I should have had or or whatever. You should never measure yourself by someone else's success, but like within the industry, it's very hard when you're young because you're usually you break into this, uh, into clubs and stuff like that through things like a funniest comic with a day job or some local competition. You're you're putting them directly in a competition. So your mindset becomes adapted to that. And like, I'll still get into competitions from time to time, but like I, I'm more fond of like anyone can beat anyone in six minutes. Yep. Anyone can beat anyone in six minutes. Sure. And then the thing is, they can win, and then after that, that's all they had. They're right. not going to be headlining next week. They right. only have six minutes. Right. You know, I didn't yeah. win, but I'm going to go headline next week. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's our problem, and that's funny because I've said that to people. I'm like, it's anybody's game because it's it's a six minute set. You, you give them a 20 minute set. You put comics up there so you have to do 30 minutes. Now that pool of comics might be down to three. Right. Yeah. That can actually even pull off 30, exactly. let alone a funny 30. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it, it, it's definitely true because of the, yeah. you know. Dave Merhage said this to me, and I, he might have been quoting someone, but I just always liked it when he said it. But he was like, man, it ain't a sprint, it's a marathon, dude. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a fucking marathon. It's It's true, though. Some people get really lucky in the beginning, and they just they 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 pop up. And oftentimes, uh, if you're lucky, you can hold on to it enough to still be there. But a lot of them fizzle out. It's just too much too soon. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But usually, it's like the best the best comics we have are the ones who slowly progress forward and learn to master different arts of the actual thing. Right. Uh, Like that's kind that's kind of what it boils down to. These guys, like the newer people. I find that they're just, uh, I think that social media has had a weird effect because I feel like I'm in a hybrid generation just in between where I've used the technology, but the ones who are coming up below me, it's like, they're so much more advanced in their appreciation of how this works. Right. And I'm kind of stuck in between where like the newer generation, I'm, I'm watching them do what they're doing. And sometimes I don't, I don't think they have any concept of how egotistical and narcissist they come off as. Like... The, the amount of fucking times I've read a Facebook status about, like, what the world is supposed to be, written by some 20-year-old. Right. Uh, I just, like, every time I'm like, you don't fucking pay bills, you don't have a mortgage, right. you don't get insurance, you right. don't have a kid, you have no real responsibilities, but you're willing to sit there on a couch and write out what the world is supposed to be like. <laughs> right. But I'm like, at some point, somewhere along the line... You got it in your head that people needed to hear what you thought. Right. I'm like, you haven't, you've, you've got nothing. Right. You've proven nothing. Right. Like, I, I, I would want to talk to people who are smarter than me and have proven themselves in grand capacities. Right. I don't really have an interest in a 20-year-old telling me how the world's supposed to fucking be. And I'm like, holy shit, you have no idea. Like, you're 20. The problems just get more and more advanced. Exactly. Like, exactly. Oh, God. Well, look at me. Fucking 38 years old, been a single mom, like, a single mom for a while. It, for me, it's interesting because we were talking about this earlier. Is like when uh, when women try to explain things to me, mm. like how it is. Right. This is how it is. I'm like, no, bitch. It's not. It's not yeah. how it is. Right. It's how your world is. Exactly. It's not how my world is. Right. You know. Absolutely. And it's funny because we talk about too how women talk about. Uh, and don't get me wrong. When I look at festivals, I do see a lack. And I, I, I'm not sure about like uh, Montreal and then Winnipeg and uh, whatever, but. The Western festivals, you see, uh, it's a lot of white dudes. Right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna, sure. you know. And I'm, and I'm honest about this. I'm, uh, because when I hear women say, we don't get enough stage time, and I've had this conversation with Dom, and I said, mm-hmm. I get lots, yeah. but I'm funny. Right. 
You also try being funny. Right. You also show up. And I show up. And I don't expect anything to be handed to me. Right. And I know that we need things to be like this way, but they're not. Right. So we need to work around that. Right. And then women are like, well, you should be fighting the Patriot. And I'm like, you know what? Right now I'm just trying to pay my rent. Right. Okay? Yeah. You know, talk to me in 20 years. (laughs) All right? Talk to me in 20 years. (laughs) And it's not that I don't think that that's a valid thing or that that's not important. It's just all of us got our own shit that's going on. And I'm going to deal with my own shit. Right. But yeah, you'll see like a lot of the comics about the, like with the stage shop. But I think with women, like, yeah, there is a little bit of a, there's sometimes we don't get it, but, um, there's also the reverse and like, no one ever likes to bring this up, but you know, I think this will prove itself because I was talking to you. I'm like, I see everything that we talked about in terms of festivals for you in like two years. (laughs) Because there's always a rule in comedy, you get everything you wanted, uh, or that you deserved two years after you deserved it, usually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, the, the, there's the oddity of, and, and like no one likes to say this, but I'm just going to say it as like, blunt as I can. If you're funny and a female comedian, you will uh, advance very rapidly within comedy because right. you are, in fact, a minority, and it's harder to find... Uh, strong female acts that can be uh, flexible in terms of like you know cleanish, dirtyish, whatever, right. uh, and can do all three tiers of the headline, uh, the MC, the middle. If you are that, you will move forward very rapidly. Right. I do hear a lot of complaint about lacking, uh, you know, support for females across every board and every level of, right. of comedy. Uh, but I feel that, that that rule honestly always cuts right through uh, the uh, being held back. I'm like the thing is. It's kind of like if you're really good, you're not going to be held back because they legit want female acts. Right. They, they, they struggle sometimes to book good acts. And yeah. the counterpoint to that is always, fuck you, there's tons of funny women. In Toronto, they made a list of them. They're like, here's a list of women. Women should be on all, all the show. There should be sort of a quota. Women, 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 women. I'm like, but I look at this list, and half that list doesn't live in Toronto, so it's kind of pointless for that. Right. But even if you just focus on the people that do, right, just those people that do... Half of them don't have more than six minutes. Right. Don't tell me, like, that's not how the economy works in stand-up. Stand-up works as a traveling headliner or maybe two acts traveling together right. and filling in with a local because it keeps the whole budget on a certain level. Yep. You sure. can't travel with your friends. You're not right. going to be able to do ten fucking women each doing six fucking minutes. Right. Yeah, you're funny for six. We're talking about a professional, productized comedy environment. Right. And if you do that as a woman and you're funny, which Lisa is... You see the sudden rapid rise. And I I was just going to say then, because that would make me then, from their perspective, I would be considered an exception to a rule. Because I did stand-up in Newfoundland, like I said, one show a month. I come to Alberta, I didn't do my whole lot every now and then. I I call it daddly. For the last year and a half, I've gone harder at it. And I've gone from a host opening act to a headlining act. Mm -hmm. Two strong headlining acts. I get bookings everywhere. Mm -hmm. I walk into open mics, people give me time. Right? Right. I've paid my dues and I've worked to get where I am, sure. and I've had and I've had to go through, like it's the same thing. Like if I just didn't have the if the opportunities just weren't there, right. and now I'm in a place where the opportunities are there and I'm snatching them up. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Why, why am I the exception then? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't make I think sense. There's, like, there's two things that happen. I'm I'm proving his point, if anything. Yeah. yeah. But that, I think that's my point. But a lot of people don't like to hear it that way. But like feminism works two ways in comedy, and I I, I think. One I uh, I totally understand but like one of them honestly just says hey why the fuck aren't we booking more women right. and yeah we should be held accountable to that I mean you are still women like that's my favorite thing about the Toronto list of uh, women is it's probably only two or three hundred names long and it's a community of thousands right. like it's right. massive so 
it tells you and underscores you are a minority within comedy. It's rarer that women do comedy. So we, we, we should be putting you on stage. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with encouraging good acts to grow and giving uh, spots to women for diversity and just a fucking different show because like three white dudes on the same show kind of gets fucking boring. Like, right. Yeah. Right. It, it just mix it up. You know? Yeah. Do yeah. it. Like, I'm fine with all that shit. But feminism ensures, uh, we've talked about this, it's equal access to opportunity. Right. Equal right. access to those same those same opportunities and moments you can get. Yeah. But the other thing that feminism does in comedy is when you're a person who's not uh, resounding well with the audience, not clicking with the audience, not not uh, becoming productized as a comedy product like 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 Lisa's doing now, just zooming up real yeah. fast, is you start saying things like. Um, it's misogynist. Uh, the patriarchy is holding me down. Right. Uh, there's, there's uh, you know, uh, like you start looking at the world for things like mansplaining and manspreading. Right. And these are these are all like just sort of ways to say that generally speaking, every time I didn't get my way or my dream didn't come true, it was because there's this huge institutionalized yeah. system yeah. that's like a boogeyman. It's just in the shadows and it's everywhere. Everyone's holding you back, and like right. everyone needs to change for you to excel and move forward. Right. Whereas, like with Lisa, the character difference with you is I've been through some shit. I have two kids I'm responsible for. I do not have the fucking time to sit around for my pity party. Right. I gotta fucking move. Right. I got 14 things to and do and 10, like time to do 10, you know? It's fucking That's what you do. But yeah. like when the others, like who are on the lower rung, are, are complaining about this, uh, this idea, it's, it's oftentimes just this vague, unprovable, no statistics possible, right. boogeyman that's always holding them back. And to me, it's the biggest disservice right. to female comedy is the people who talk about feminism in that capacity right. because it puts the idea in their head that no matter what they do, the system is poisoned against them right. and they will never succeed. Right. And like this, is, this is a bad out. version of feminism yeah. because it, it, it holds them back. You want to say internal, like let's say internalized misogyny. I think that's the internalized misogyny. When you tell women that no matter what, the industry doesn't like women and won't let you play and won't give you equal footing and you just keep repeating it till you fucking believe it, right. that is honestly like that poisons the heart of a, sure. of a good comic. And how, how, how hard do you really want to work if you think that no matter how much work you it's put in, you'll never make it because there's always going to be a point where they cut you off. Right. That's why people, I think, like you, Lisa, zoom right the fuck past all that shit because you just don't have time for the internalized idea that someone's holding you back because every challenge you go up against, you've had to fight yourself through. Right. You know? And I will. And I, like, I refuse to stand up and go, listen, I've done this, I've done this, I've won that, I've done it. I go to people, I go, you know what, then I'll give you five minutes. I'll give you ten minutes. Sure. Whatever. Or I'll just go in and go, all right, let me do your, your room uh, on this night. And then you can see. And then they'll go, without fail, they'll go, all right, we'll, yeah, we'll book you as the headliner. All right, we'll book you. I feel it's. I put my money where my mouth is. Like I'm not gonna. I can stand there and tell them things all day long. Right. But I. And, and then again, this is another approach that I like to do, which is you bring the bar to a certain level. So if you if you surpass that by a lot, you're like holy shit. Right. Right. So you don't talk yourself up constantly because it's better to go and prove yourself. Right. But the whole and I and I, and I'm a I'm a huge feminist. I'm a huge feminist. And I would challenge anyone to sit down and, and try to tell me that I'm not. Right. But there are a lot of women playing the victim. Yeah. And that's not, and, and they're using feminism, um, they're using the whole thing to kind of um, further their own, like further, like further their own personal agenda. Right. It's not for the greater good. Right. It's really not. Right. It's, it's to explain why they're not successful. Yeah. Right. And if you're going to look at me and go, you're the exception to the rule, Lisa, 
well then fuck you because you just undermined everything I've ever did. Right. You're looking at me and telling me that my whole thing's by chance or whatever. Right. You're or that, undermining that all. Yeah, or right. yeah, or somebody cut you break. You're right. undermining all my hard work, right. all, every success, every time I've sat down and go, how the fuck am I paying the rent this month? Right. Every time that I fucking you driven for twelve hours and and to yeah. do an hour of comedy because right. I needed that thousand bucks so right. bad. Right. You know, so like for them to think, you know, that, you know, they can sort of undermine that, like, fuck you, yeah, fuck yeah. you, and you know what, I said it earlier, if all of these women want to sit around and sit in a room and cry about how they're oppressed, and comedy, they're not getting anywhere in comedy because of misogyny, do it, because I'm fucking running past you, I'm slingshotting past you, yeah, yeah. you guys can stay way back there, I'll fucking headline the show now. Thanks a bunch. I'll take all the money. It's all good. I think you guys, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's, I love it. I love, I love this. I know you guys got a show uh, to do here quickly. Uh, where can people find you? Um, I'm on the internet. Uh, <laughs> the interweb. I'm on whatever. I got a Facebook fan page. Um, You're on Twitter. Because I, I follow Twitter, you on Twitter. At Parade. Yeah. P-A-R-E. And then uh, I'll have a website soon. I think it'll be DomPareComedy.com. I think if I can still get that domain. So, you know. There. Perfect. Perfect. Lisa? Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, it's all at Lisa Baker Comedy. Um, and I'm going to, uh, according to my chat with you, we're going to get a website going. Yeah, I'm going to get a website going. Yeah, so. And the offer is over to you as well, Dom. If you want to website I've got this, like, skinny Indian kid. Hey, that works better than me. Thanks for doing the podcast, guys. Appreciate it. All right, folks, and there you have it, the fabulous interview with the very, very talented and funny Don Parade and Lisa Baker. Thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, it was an absolute blast uh, hanging out with you guys for the afternoon and, and having to hang out while you guys eat steak and eggs. Yes, Don Parade cooks steak and eggs. What a, what a gentleman. Goddamn gentleman. Take some lessons, boys and girls. That right there is a keeper. Anyway... On behalf of myself, your host, Jake Hirsch, and the entire crew at Yuck Yucks, Mr. Mark Breslin, executive producer Kira Williams, our very newlywed uh, webmaster, Camille Sorovi, and of course, our, our good friend, Mr. Lane Argue, the one who lays down all the acoustic tracks for this. Thank you, sir. Like I said every week, lots of cool interviews coming up. Stick around. I'm telling you right now, we've got a bombshell of a show coming up here. You're going to love it. You're going you're gonna to thank me. You're going to love me and you're going to thank me, both of them. All right, I'm out of here. Stick around. We'll see you next week.